Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. All right, everybody. So this is the Ask a Painter Live show. It is a weekly live Facebook show, uh, Instagram show, and TikTok show, where I basically showcase the life of a three-decade master craftsperson, paint business owner, trades entrepreneur, that sort of thing. Uh, for those of you who have been following a long time, you know that uh, for over six years, I've been broadcasting weekly. I've never missed a week. And sometimes we paint stuff. Sometimes we talk about business. Um, this season of the year in the Ask a Painter Live show series uh, is a very special one for me. It's called Mastering the Basics. So right now, it's likely that across the country, and especially in the upper Midwest, you have a little more time in your business, in your craft, than you normally would in June, July, and August, right? Uh, the, the crazy, crazy busy time. So what I do every year is take this time after the first of the year. We've made New Year's resolutions. We've looked at our books at the end of the year. We start thinking about things we can do better, and now we want to work on our business. So here's what we do. I've created a series called Mastering the Basics. We, we go back through every single thing that businesses must do in order to last more than a few years and make a few thousand dollars a year. Um, this resource is something been near and dear to me. I myself have grown probably in the last six or seven years, a company from zero to about 40 people. And I followed these exact steps. I am not a consultant. I have nothing to sell you. I am just a dude who loves this more than anything else. I love the craft intensely. I love leadership. I love trades business entrepreneurship. And a lot of people from around the world have shared with me lots of resources. And I've basically taken all the things I've learned, condensed them into a very like simple sheet called steps to professionalization. And I've also put hyperlinks to all these Ask a Painter live shows, and I'm going to share that with you. Now, what Mastering the Basics is, we're actually going to go through that sheet every step and devote an entire show to every step. Now, things that I'm going to send you. Um, like I said, I have nothing to sell, folks. This is kind of like the public radio model where we get underwriters to pay for this show, and I just broadcast it out there for free. I also gave away all my resources for free because I truly want this industry to be more professional. Um, and I want you guys not to read in any emotions or feelings into that professionalism. This is not a value judgment as, as to business size. Because you have a single person business, a two, a three person business, this does not mean you're unprofessional or bad. It just means that in our industry, I'm going to share a bunch of stats. Our industry is very fragmented. We have we have a ton, a ton, a ton of very small businesses. And when we go out there and survey them, when we feel what it is to be in our industry, they're very unprofessional. And what unprofessional comes with is not, again, a value judgment. You're a bad person. What it is is that we're not doing any of the basic things that we need to do to be real businesses, to be consistent, to not have wild swings in emotion, to have consistent profit, low stress, and, and uh, allows us to grow and then make opportunities for other people around us. So 
here's what we uh, here's what we're going to do over the next bunch of weeks. In the show notes of this show, um, uh, on Facebook, uh, excuse me, on Instagram and TikTok, you can't put in that much detail in these things, right? What you're going to see is Ask a Painter Live number 345. What's going to happen on Facebook is I'm going to actually screen share. I'm in my war room right now, and in a couple minutes, I'm going to pull up one of my master's classes on standard operating procedures. That is step number one, a proven process in your business. Instagram and TikTok, you guys will be able to hear some of this. You won't be able to see my screen. I would urge you to get over to Facebook uh, to actually see what I'm talking about. But in the end, here's the promise I make to you guys. If you email me, nick at nickslavic.com, I will send you every single one of my resources for free. I cannot send you all the slides to the presentations, all this other stuff, because I don't have that great of internet out here. And to download one of those things takes a lot of time and send it to you. But I will send all my resources, my templates, my things like that. And uh, yeah, we're going to get after it today. So uh, I have a whole bunch of show notes in there for you guys. I have a schedule of mastering the basic shows over the next three months here. Every week, we're going to hit on something, starting with step one, going to about step 12 on how to professionalize your business. Um, there is also the PCA Expo coming up, the Painting Contractors Association Expo. This is the biggest best group of master craftspeople and trades business entrepreneurs in North America getting together in New Mexico in February. So there's a link there if you want to be there. I'm bringing my entire leadership team with me. It's going to be a great time. Um, also, what we're going to go over today is a very, very condensed, truncated version of one of my master's classes. One of my master's classes are basically all day get-togethers and knowledge exchanges where we take a subject like standard operating procedures or professionalism and we get together live in person and we actually do this stuff together. So if you like what you're going to see today, if you like anything you've seen in Ask a Painter, uh, I have a link to somebody you can email to set up a live in-person master's class in your area. Again, I don't have a lot of things to sell. I have nothing to sell, right? But in your area, we can arrange it so that it is free of cost to you. We'll find an underwriter. We'll get 20 to 150 people together, and we'll do this stuff all day together. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy knowledge exchange here. So also, as you guys know how this goes, anybody who's been following me longer than a, a more than a few episodes, ask me any questions en route. You're not going to interrupt me during this broadcast. This is Ask a Painter live. You can ask me anything. You can make comments and you can suggest topics. If something is unclear in any of this stuff, stop me right there. And then we're basically, um, we're basically going to go through this stuff and we're going to share all this, uh, all this knowledge. So let me just make sure I'm not missing any big, uh, oh my gosh, we got lots of people watching here. Good morning, everybody seeing lots of familiar, uh, oh my gosh, seeing lots of familiar faces on Instagram this morning. Good morning. Happy New Year, Hirschberger Painting. Thank you very much for that. Brian Struble, um, a recent uh, contact I made in the industry, but very impressed with him and his business. Let's see what we got here. Da, 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 da. Let's see here. Uh, lots of craziness on TikTok, as you would expect. Good morning, everybody. So, all right, uh, let's go uh, with the Facebook comments. Uh, Todd Roberts, good morning from North Carolina. Brandon Miller, uh, good morning uh, to you. Cristobal, are you remaking from last year's Mastering the Basics V2? Yes. Every year, every year after the start of the year, I go back through Mastering the Basics because I learn stuff 
right? We iterate, I add to it. And this is the time of the year where people need this stuff. So every year, probably for the last three years, I've gone back and I've redone all this stuff, added to the knowledge base, kept iterating and moving forward. So, all right, everybody, here we go. We're going to hop into this thing. Any comment, any question below, I'll be catching them all on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Facebook. And we are going to kick this sucker off. All right, let me get rid of my on-screen stuff so we can so we can see all this. Do, 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 do. There we go. All right, everybody, here we go. Deep dive. This is it. First show of the year, Mastering the Basics. We're basically going to have a three-month treatise week by week on how to professionalize your business. Remember, if you want to grow a big painting business, you do these steps. If you want to maintain a small business, but have less stress and understand how to schedule, how to estimate, how to do the SOPs and things like that. This is what you do. Whether you're a one-person business or a hundred-person business, these are the steps you must do. This isn't like, hey, this is only what the good ones do. You must do this, otherwise you will be out of business. These are all the things that banks do, that Best Buy does, that Target does, that Amazon does, that Tesla Motors does. These are business fundamentals. Most people come into this industry as master craftspeople and not necessarily uh, uh, business owners first. So here's the problem, everybody. I'm one of you too. I came into this in 30 years in the business. I practiced for about 20 to 25 just being a painter. In the last five to 10 years, I've had to teach myself how to be a business owner. This is hard. Remember that. It is way easier to have a college education in business know how to run a business, have experience running a business and teach yourself how to painting than it is to be a master craftsperson and teach yourself how to be a business owner. So I am looking you right in the face right now and saying, this is hard. If it ever feels hard, it is. Congratulations. You are a business owner and that comes with the territory. So let's make sure uh, we get this stuff down. Mastering the basics, folks. Here we go. Sip a coffee and we're off to the running. All right. Steps to professionalization. Um, arguably, step number one, not arguably, absolutely. Step number one is having a proven process. So before we start talking about what do you charge for stuff, how do you estimate, how do you hire people, how do you grow a leadership team, all that other stuff, you have to be able to look a client in the face and say, if you want your golden oak uh, cabinets painted, here's my process. I prep it, I prime it. I sand it again, I put two coats of enamel on, and in the end, I can guarantee you it's not going to chip, it's not going to fail, it's not going to do all this other weird stuff, right? Before we start getting into the processes of a business, you know, materials and scheduling and, and production-based estimating, you have to actually know how to paint or do the thing you do. You have to have a proven process to guarantee your result every single time. So here we go. Mastering the basics, SOPs. This is Ask a Painter Live number 345. This is a very condensed version of one of my master's classes that I travel around the country and, um, and present. Now, if you, if you uh, have me in person in your area, this is likely a two to four hour discussion. We're going to condense this thing down into about 45 minutes uh, because that's what we have. So, all right, here we go, folks. All right, so <clears throat> I, I can see uh, my beloved uh, estimator Andy is watching on Instagram. This is estimator Andy and estimator E. And if you guys are watching on Facebook, there's a screen share here. Um, this is good perspective for everybody because when we think of standard operating procedures, we often think of painting, 
right? We often think of painting, the processes of prepping and priming and enameling, things like that. Standard operating procedures are nothing more than recipe cards and a, and a to-do list to guarantee your result at the end. Here's the deal. For 12 or 13 years of owning my business, I did all the estimating and sales, right? And it was all in my head. I knew exactly what to charge. I knew exactly how to do it, what to say, when to say it, and everything else. When Estimator Andy came on about two or three years ago, all of a sudden I found myself in a position where I needed to sharpen my sword. I needed to take all that knowledge was in my head, uh, turn intuition into process, and and, refer, uh, and and recall into reference. I needed to take all that knowledge in my head and put it down on paper. So what I had to do is create a standard operating procedure for estimating. And then when we did this, Andy and I vetted it out in the field. We made sure it was good. And then when we hired our second estimator, estimator Ian, uh, Andy then taught Ian this standard operating procedure. Did an amazing job, world-class job. The, the, uh, the thoughtfulness, the togetherness, um, uh, the, the amazing amount of knowledge transfer between those two is great. And that is, that is a proof of a really good process. So I don't want you guys to think about just um, standard operating procedures in the realm of painting. They go all over your business. But today, we're going to talk about the basics of sort of the proven process, the painting things like there. Now, <laughs> this is a uh, standard operating procedure, one of mine. It's a checklist. And uh, if you guys are not watching, the screen share is here. Um, this is a, uh, oh, really quick, sorry, before we dive into this, a uh, huge favor to ask everybody, please, uh, for you guys on Instagram, on TikTok, and on Facebook, share this thing. It just takes a few seconds to hit that share button. Let's get some more people on here and let's professionalize this industry together. So, all right, last ask, and now we get into it. So here's the deal. I post one of my uh, SOP checklists on a very large uh, painter Facebook group, and here's kind of what happens. And this is, um, this is very anecdotal, but to me, this is insight into the mindset of our industry, which is all of a sudden you get people saying, you know, here's a comment. It's not painting. It's painting. It's not rocket scientists. This is an indicator of micromanager. Think about this for a second, folks. This person is not good. It's not bad, just is. This is a knee-jerk reaction, an emotional reaction to this. If you were to buy a piece of Ikea furniture and it came with no instruction manual, you would be pissed. Yes, we could figure it out. We're problem solvers. But you would be like, the basics, Ikea, that you could do is give me an instruction manual. Guess what an SOP is? it is an instruction manual. If we did not give our people an instruction manual, how the heck are you ever going to train them? How are you going to hold them accountable? How are you going to coach them? How are you going to train them? If there's not a document we can reference that says this is the standard. Next comment. That's funny S right there. LOL. This is our industry. These arguably are paint business owners commenting on my standard operating procedures. So again, not good, not bad. I, I would maybe argue it's bad, but it's an insight into our industry. This is then it gets a little bit crazy. Sounds like a scam to rip off customers. That's a comment on my SOP. I just shared one of my SOPs and hey, look at this. This is kind of cool, right? Uh, one person even hearted that comment, right? There you go. Little insight into our industry. Now, here we go. I just pulled a couple comments. Man, if I had to go to work and follow that every day, like a slave, then I, then I do a painter who enjoys coming to work, not bashing, all employees different, but for me, I don't work like that. This person considers a, 
a standard operating procedure, an instruction list, a how-to list, a basic recipe card for what we do as coming to work and being a slave to it. All right. So obviously you take a little insight into these people's businesses and lives. It's likely not as organized, not as smooth, not as consistent, not as profitable as others. It does not mean these people are bad people. I was here once too, folks. We are painters first and business owners second. And a lot of the times we have this knee jerk reaction that anytime we have a process, if we have an office, if we have a, a, a an admin, anything that approaches being a business, we think we're going to turn into a corporate thing and we're losing the art and the beauty and the passion of what we do. The more standardized you make your process, the more you can practice this beautiful craft. Because of SOPs in my business, uh, as a single owner operator, I was maybe likely to help 50 people a year. We are now able to help 10 times more people than that with their home projects. We are able to affect the public in a much greater way than I ever was as a single owner operator. We have a leadership team of six people in my business. These are high level salaried bonus positions, company cars, sometimes working remote, sometimes working in our office that operate in our industry at a very high level that facilitate the craft. You are not forsaking the craft by doing this stuff. You are facilitating the craft by doing this. So if your passion in life is to practice this beautiful art that we all, all practice, this is a must. This will allow you to practice it profitably, taking care of your family for a lifetime versus this feelings-based swings up and down. All right, so SOPs are so ingrained into my business we actually have people within our company on our Slack message board creating memes about SOPs in our business. So yeah, I'm throwing one up here on uh, on Facebook here. Uh, this is one of my beloved craftspeople, Brady. He makes uh, he makes the sort of uh, a meme about an SOP. That's how you know how ingrained SOPs are in your business. Young people are making memes about them and posting them publicly. We also have a meme contest every year where we. Uh, uh, where we give cash prizes for best meme of the year. So, all right, I'm seeing uh, Olive Holdings, my friend at Olive Holdings, watching on uh, Instagram here. Processes and professionalization help bring you more freedom and creativity in life, not less. These guys know better than anybody else. If you don't follow them on Instagram, Olive Holdings, I definitely would. Appreciate you guys watching today. All right, folks, buzzwords of the industry, right? All you've heard about in the last couple of years, systems and processes, systems and processes, systems and processes. Well, this is what they are. I'm going to show you exactly what mine are. I'm going to show you exactly how to build them. And I'm going to share all mine. So you have an example to start yours off with, right? So grit, gnashing your teeth, expenditure of calories can make up for standard operating, operating procedures for a while, right? So think about it. We can make up for a lot of the faults in our businesses by working more hours and working harder. But the second you have other humans in your business, you will not have them work 100 hours a week to make up for that. They are likely going to work for you to, for between 40 and 50 hours a week. And after that, you got to figure it out. Things need to be done in a certain amount of time professionally. If you can't do that, if you can't do that, um, you're going to need some SOPs. And so we can grit through, we can be cowboys. And with our effort, we can make up for all the sloppiness and all of that sort of intuition in our business. But sooner or later, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to go, um, uh, Excuse me, we're going to have to get some processes down in our business. So, all right, humans move towards entropy. One of my best friends in the industry, Jason Paris, said this. What is entropy? Entropy is chaos. If naturally humans, if not 
if not given some direction, if not held accountable, even us as business owners, we move towards chaos a little bit, right? We function better with a routine, with a process, with a system, and then people holding us accountable to it. So just know if you don't have these, naturally, your people will move towards chaos. We burn calories keeping things in order. This is the grid I talked about. Number one, we need to be realistic about what we're doing. If your business depends on you, you don't own a business. You own a job. This is not good. This is not bad. This is just is. And this doesn't change should you professionalize or not, but we need to be realistic. It's the turkey truck test. If you got hit by a turkey truck today, what happens to your business tomorrow? If, if every single one of our business businesses in this industry, there's arguably between 300 and 330,000 painting businesses in the United States. If every one of the business owners got hit by a turkey truck tomorrow, it's likely only 1% of our biz of the painting businesses in the United States would survive past the next day. That is true. That is an absolutely true statement. Success equals info plus grit, right? So we have this grit as business owners. We're willing to put in the hours. We're willing to take risks. We're willing to do the hard things, take chaos and put it down into something formable and usable, create opportunities for other. The missing part for me for a lot of years was this information. I was willing to do the work. The hardest thing is the willingness to do this, to take the risk, to do the work. I was missing the information. So I was taking my hard work and just, ah, just putting it out there, doing stuff, not really getting a great return. So when I got introduced to this sort of information, it took all that crazy, it took all that crazy, um, all that craziness of like, we're just doing stuff. We're just trying stuff. And I condense it down into a focused approach going forward. So just understand you need a lot of grit, but you also need a lot of that info. Also, uh, conversely, if you just have this info and don't do anything with it, it's useless. Moving on. So people who win in this industry and in life, personally, and professionally, not just in painting, do a whole bunch of unsexy things really well, consistently. Grit. That is the unsatisfying thing that I needed to hear years ago, which is we're not doing moonshots. We're not doing one crazy extreme thing to drive our result. We're doing all these little mundane, unsexy things over and over and over again. The people who do this the best, the Olive Holdings guys and a lot of other people I'm seeing here, do simple, simple things over and over and over again consistently every day. Also, you're going to hear this many times. Don't ever forget this. If it's not written down, it doesn't exist. So I get people saying, hey, Nick, I got SOPs. My people all know how to paint a bedroom. It's like, good. Have one of your painters pull up the document that shows them how to paint a bedroom. And they'll say, well, listen, it's not exactly written down, right? But they know how to do it. Good. If it doesn't exist, or excuse me, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. And you can't hold them accountable to it. Data point. So here's the deal. I'm showing you a screenshot of my Google Drive, right? Uh, I arguably have maybe a terabyte of information from my business and Ask a Painter and all this other stuff. I share all my templates on, uh, on, on my Google Drive, which allows me to work with people on these templates in real time. Um, I have this huge archive of every time I send somebody a template, a record of it. Here's the deal, all right? Out of all the templates, thousands and thousands and thousands of resources and templates I send out, 40% of them never get opened by the people I send them to. So when we talk about information and grit, congratulations, you have a proven thing, a job costing template, an estimate template. You were given it to it by an industry expert, somebody who uses it right now, not a consultant, a person who is using that template right now to professionalize their business and run their business. And you didn't even open it. That's fine, right? 
the information is there, the grit wasn't there. So I would challenge everybody here, you have the information. All the information you need to professionalize your business is free and it's out there. I would argue this is a good resource. The Painting Contractors Association is a resource as well. And it's all out there for free. Do you have enough grit to actually do something with it? That's my challenge to you. I will guarantee you this. January, February, March, if you don't do something now, it's not going to get easier May, June, July, August, September, right? If you think you're busy now, if you think you have a lot on your plate now, buckle up. May, June, July, August, that is go time. All right, I'm going to get back to some of these comments, but already I got 97 slides to get through and we are going to hammer this stuff. So SOPs aren't perfect, right? Just because you write it down on paper doesn't mean that it's always going to be complied perfectly every single time. Think about vehicle recalls. This is a good example. Think about a factory that's driven by robots and tight technical tolerances down to mills, millimeters, things like that. There are still vehicle recalls. Robots, not humans, not the squishiness of humans and the uh, rationality of humans put together cars. Robots put together cars, but yet there's faults in that. So that tells you that a standard operating procedure, a computer algorithm, a computer code and robots are still not perfect. There's this human interface that has to be part of SOPs. Don't ever forget that. So this is my sheet I'm showing on Facebook right now. This is literally the document I will send you at the end of this. Steps to professionalization, how to professionalize your business. This will help you if you're one person. This will help you if you're 100 people. Arguably, 99% of all businesses in our industry are probably 1 to 1.5 people in them. If they did all these steps, you could likely double the money you take home every year. It's the truth. All these steps don't aren't just the steps for you to hire on people and grow a big business. If you want to stay a single owner operator, all these steps will make you have less chaos, more leads, understand how to schedule, understand how to estimate, and bring you twice as much profit every single year. And I will send you this sheet at the end of this thing. Uh, in the show notes, I've also included my email if you want this. But I bring up I bring up this sheet because there's a yellow star on my screen share on step number one, which is proven process. SOPs. So here's what we're going to dive into today. Number one, do you experience any of these difficulty scheduling, difficulty hiring, difficulty producing profitable work, callbacks on your projects, daily chaos? How about the fires? We wake up every day and there's fires to put out, right? Or stagnation. My business isn't growing. It isn't declining. I'm just stuck. SOPs, SOPs can solve every single one of them, right? But here's the deal. The solution, and I'm showing an example of one of my SOPs, you've got to have SOPs plus accountability. What are SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures. A standard operating procedure is a set of step-by-step -step instructions compiled by an organization to help workers carry out routine operations. SOPs aim to achieve efficiency, quality output, and uniformity of performance while reducing miscommunication and failures. It is an algorithm. You ever heard of the word algorithm? It's a fancy word for a standard operating procedure. So think about, you have some inputs, right? You have an algorithm, a set of rules to obtain an expected outcome from a given input, and then you have an output. We have paint and labor. We have a set of standard operating procedures that produces a standard result at the end. An algorithm is a standard operating procedure, is a instruction manual. Oh my gosh, Skylar Feria is watching. Skylar's one of my favorite people in the world on Instagram. Good morning, my friend. So SOPs, we think about SOPs as for painting, right? I'm showing you the foundation 
of SOPs is codings. Then we go into the production process. So basically project management. Then we go into sales and estimating process. Then we go into operations and then even the vision of our company. I have a standard operating procedure for coming up with the visions in our company. I just want you to know it's not just for painting. So why SOPs? Number one, you promised the client something, right? How are you gonna deliver on that promise? If we have 40 people in my company, how do we know that each of those 40 people is gonna do the same thing on every job to deliver that promise? Whether you know you make a promise or not, you are out there doing an estimate. That is a promise. It's actually a quantified promise. There's a dollar amount, there's rooms listed, there's codings listed, there's a process listed. How in the heck do you know your people are going to deliver on that if there's not a process you can hold them accountable to? You want your people to win. I want my craftspeople to get a raise every three months in my business. In order to do that, they must follow the SOPs. The SOPs will guarantee them a win on every single job. You want to reduce friction. If you think running a business is chaotic, it is. But I'm here to tell you, the bigger I got, the more professional I got, the more I made simple SOPs and held people accountable to them, the stress and the friction in my business has gone down the more work we do. Counterintuitive, but it is true. Also, you want to simplify, right? Some people think that painting is this crazy art uh, that has all these variables and you could never ever give anybody advice on how to paint because everything is so different. And that is not true, folks. At its fundamental level, we're taking a mass customized item. We're taking a process and we're applying it at, at, a, at a micro custom level to all the houses we go to. It doesn't mean it can't be standardized. You can take a general theory and apply it to all the houses. And yes, there's going to be a variable on the houses, but don't let that stand in the way of actually getting standard operating procedures done. Unnecessary SOPs. So think about this, folks. I had a business owner send me a potential SOP for their company that they've been working on um, for the last couple months is about 200 pages long. I will say this. It is good, right? It is perfect. Do you think anybody in that business is going to comply with a 200 page instruction manual on how to paint a bedroom? It's likely not. So be very careful how you craft an SOP and what you use an SOP for. The best example I can give you of this is do not make an SOP in your business where it's not needed. Number one, do you need a standard operating procedure? Thought experiment from me to you. Do you need a, a, a standard operating procedure to verify that your employees receive their paychecks every week? No, you do not. I'll answer that for you. That is a self-sustaining system. You don't need to have a process where a human calls and verifies and checks with every person that they get their paycheck. If your paycheck is not delivered, guess what? They will let you know. That is a great self-sustaining system. So don't go creating SOPs where you don't need them, right? You don't necessarily need an SOP for how to unfold a ladder or open a paint can. You can if you like, right? Do that. But if you want your people to learn this trade, you're going to have to make it simple for them. So please pleading to you as a master craftsperson and a trades business entrepreneur do not make unnecessary sops for your people right life is difficult enough don't pile a bunch of crap on them and if you want to talk about unnecessary sops you talk about the military they have buildings with volumes of field manuals fm-105-3ab about every single thing how to breathe how to walk how to look and everything and it's wild nobody can comply with it Number one, always ask, do you need an SOP? And there's the example I gave you. Don't add complexity where complexity isn't needed.
Number one, E-Myth. Uh, read this book a, a bunch of years ago, had a good takeaways from it. Uh, one of the biggest things I took away was businesses don't fail because they miss a huge lofty goal. They fail in the mundane, seemingly insignificant everyday tasks that make up business. As business owners, we want to take these moonshots. We want to do the big things, the hard things. And now, uh, basically, the people who do this the best do a whole bunch of like seemingly insignificant things every single day well. That is the unsatisfying truth that I'm here to tell you actually does it. So there's a technician mindset versus an entrepreneur mindset. And this is coming from the E-Myth, right? A technician, a master craftsperson will think what work has to be done. We focus on inside results, results, the internal tasks. And the future is modeled after the present. So whatever we do today, the future is going to look like that by a result of what we do today. Now, here's the entrepreneur, the business owner. How must the business work? We have to think about the business and how it all functions, the standard operating procedures. We focus on outside results. We don't just focus on how those cabinets look. We think about how the client thinks those cabinets look. The present is molded to fit the future result, fulfill a future result. So we think in about one, three, five, ten 10 years down the way. And now we have to craft a system, a, a present system to achieve something in the future where as master craftspeople, as painters, sometimes we think about the future is going to be what it's going to be based on what we do today. And those are two different mindsets. You just have to be aware of them. One isn't good. One isn't bad. They just are. Theoretically, professionalized leaders should have a low tolerance for pain. This is something I learned from my friend Jason Paris as well, too. So you think about it. As business owners, we think we must be the grittiest, the, the leatheriest skin, the biggest calluses, and be able to put up with the most pain and the most suffering and martyrdom. That is actually not a great thing to do as a business owner because we will continue to use our suffering and martyrdom and pain to solve solutions in business that could easily be solved by a process or another human or something like that. So, and again, doesn't mean you're good, doesn't mean you're bad. This just is, right? So, I live this life. This is me coming to you, mea culpa, saying that I basically used, I martyred myself to make up for a lot of faults in my business for a lot of years. So some perspective for you guys. So here's the deal. Like I keep saying, most of us did not look at all the potential industries and businesses in the United States and choose to be a painter, right? Most of us either had a parent teach us how to paint or we did it in college and we came back to it for some reason, right? This is the seek versus found mentality. Most of the time, people in our industry do not seek out this industry. They happen to find it like a breadcrumb in the woods. I'm here to tell you, it's not your fault if this is tough, right? But the problem is it's all your fault now. If you filed with the state of Tennessee, your LLC to be a business, guess what? You got to do business owner stuff now. It is the way of the business owner. So, we may find ourselves in this industry from a lot of different directions, but if you put your name on a shingle, if you start a business, if you get out there and offer your trades to other people, guess what? You're going to have to do business owner stuff. You might as well just do it because it's going to reduce the friction in your life. And you're not giving up this beautiful cowboy mentality. This, this crazy entrepreneur, no holds barred, guns ablaze and cowboy mentality is insanely useful for business owners. I'm here to tell you, there's going to be iterations, there's going to be machinations, there's going to be this ebb and flow of when it's good and when it's bad. But I'll tell you, you are special people that are able to start businesses and do this. You are unique, you're willing to take on risks that others won't, you're looking for a greater good, you're servant leaders. You may have 
it may not be your fault you're in this industry, but that you're here, now it's your fault. Now you got to do something with it, but I'm here to help. 98% of our industry is basically 1.5 people. This is pretty easy, right? And that's a pretty shocking thing to most people. This doesn't mean you're good. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just is. We have an entirely fragmented industry. Uh, also, surf prep. What's up, my people at surf prep? Uh, love, love you guys. Um, watching on Instagram. Um, this is just an indication that historically, most one or 1.5 person businesses are not that professional, right? Most businesses uh, in this industry fail in one to three years, right? Most paint business owners take home about $43,000 a year. That is about $21.5 an hour. So these stats make, make sense now, right? If we're working alone in this business, we're doing all the things that businesses do, we're taking all that risk, and we're only taking home $43,000 a year, guess what? You're going to go out of business in one to three years. There's not that much margin right there. So that is the problem. These stats all make sense. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us cowboys and entrepreneurs can grit through that. We can make it to year five, eight, and 10, but we're working 100 hours a week. We're giving away work for free. And if we actually calculated what we're making per hour, it's not what you think, right? When we actually job cost and track material and labor for projects, we often find out that um, most paint business owners feel like they're making a ton of money, feel like they're doing an amazing job, but they really make about 20 bucks an hour. Uh, and they could actually make more per hour working for a big professional painting company. That is not me saying do that. That is not me saying what that's our target here. This is me saying you have to actually account for your own time. All right. A tale of two companies. Here's the deal, folks. Uh, for those of you who have not heard my story, I left my own family business 15 years ago. This is the 15th anniversary of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration. I left my own family business because my father didn't share my core values, right? He's fine. He's a good dude, but it's his business. He makes his choice. I didn't fit into it, so I left, all right? Right now, there are two Slavic painting companies in this hometown of New Prague, and I love my father. I respect him. It's his business. He can make all his decisions, but right now, there's a tale of two companies, which is we have anywhere between 30 and 40 people, depending on the season. We have a leadership team of six. We have an office. We have a professional finishing facility with a spray booth that's code compliant and OSHA compliant. We have a training facility to train our apprentices. We have proven processes for painting, for recruiting, for retaining, uh, for production, for sales, for everything else. My father's business doesn't own a computer or a cell phone. And at the end of this, not good, not bad, right? This is all fine. This is not a value judgment. One person's good, one person's bad. But at the end of this, at the end of both of our lives, uh, I might have something I can hand down to my employees, to my kids, or even sell. My father, if he had a knee injury, his whole business would blow away right now. It's not good. It's not bad. You just have to understand the risk that you're getting into, right? A single owner operator, painter, is a very risky proposition. You are literally one ankle injury away from having all the income for your family gone forever. And it may not even be your fault. You think about a painting injury on site. What if you're just in a car accident and somebody else hits you, you're doing nothing wrong and you're unable to paint the rest of your life. Guess what? Your entire way of earning is now gone. That is risky. We need to account for that risk. 
professionalization will do that. So I'm here to show you what real businesses do, right? This is every business in the United States. If you look up to Surf Prep Sanding, if you look up to Olive Holdings, if you look up to Target Corporation, Radio Shack, McDonald's, all that stuff, these are the things they do, folks. So I use an SOP to figure out if I need an SOP. That, that's how deep this gets into my company. So what you guys are seeing on Facebook right now is the scientific process. Remember back to seventh grade uh, science class, you observe something, right? You have a hypothesis about that. You create an experiment about that. You analyze the experiment, you come to a conclusion, and then you make another observation. This is that scientific process. And in our businesses, I'm telling you, standard operating procedures are this. You observe that we're getting callbacks on kitchen cabinets. Your hypothesis is we're not prepping them right. You do an experiment where you try out a surf prep sander with a medium squishy pad first, and then you vac off all the dust, and then you tack rag all the dust. You do that experiment, you analyze the results, and if you don't get failures anymore, congratulations. You have just done what real scientists do. You've had a controlled experiment, you've looked at the results, you now write that into your standard operating procedure, and then you go forth, and then you have the next, uh, then you have the next observation. <clears throat> you need to reduce variables though. So <clears throat> if you're gonna test out a standard operating procedure and you're gonna change your coding, you're going to change your enamel, you're going to change your primer, you're going to change your prep process, you're going to change your drying times, your spray tips and all this stuff all at once. <clears throat> that is not what we call a controlled experiment. If you get a better or worse result, you have no idea what to point it to. So I will say, I will, I will give you the advice of when you're creating standard operating procedures and you're trying to in the in the discovery right there, you need to control the variables. Try one thing at a time to get a different result. Humans are the variables and all this stuff. So this is something I say in jest, in hyperbole, but this would be a great uh, and easy business if there were no humans involved, right? The paint is not the variable in all this. Our paint is all standardized. For the love of God, we buy the same painter's pants. We buy the same paint. We buy the same brushes. All this stuff is all the same. The variable is the client, is you, is the employee. All, that's the biggest variable. So think about it like that. So you have to think about people going to a standardized product versus people going to a non-standardized project. In the industry, think about this. There's mass production, right? McDonald's makes a thing and you go to that thing. You can't really ask for a lot of variations. They just offer a thing. Mass customization is we take the factory to the people. We take the McDonald's restaurant to the people. We have a general idea of the paint, the process, the things like that. And when we get on site, we have to customize it based on the house, the climate conditions, um, the other uh, variables on the job and the client itself. So we are technically a mass customization industry where we can standardize almost everything we do, but there's a little customization at the end for everyone. So what I'm showing you now is a standard operating procedure from McDonald's. And what you're seeing here is, is a image, an infographic with descriptions and uh, instructions down to the second on how something should work in a McDonald's. So think about this. They have entry level labor, level labor. Um, their tenure for McDonald's employees is likely six months, right? But yet they're one of the most successful franchises, biggest franchises in the world. They're profitable and they can turn out a standard thing, right? The standard operating procedures is the only way that McDonald's does all that stuff. Now you're looking at mass customization where, yes, we have a process that we do to cabinets, but some cabinets need something different, right? So we got to have contingencies. We got to leave it open, but don't ever let the customization, that little bit of customization we do for every one of our jobs, stop you 
stop you from basically saying, well, you can't possibly standardize this thing, right? There's no way you can do it because the variables, yes, you can. I dare you. Yes, you can. But then we also have to realize there's a third option, full customization. So think about a one-off art installation, right? Think about a one-off custom crazy art installation. You don't need a standard operating procedure for everything has to be has to come up on its own. Now, if you ever want to make a second one, you have to document that SOP and do it. But I want you to understand that we don't really deal. We think we're custom, right? We are not custom. Even if we were to be a mural painter, we have a local mural painter that we work with where we do the base layers for him. He does all the mural and then we come back with anti-graffiti. He has a standard operating procedure for murals, but it's likely he's never done two murals the same. But the, the coatings, the systems, the processes, I see how he makes a grid and lays them out. You would make the argument that he is a custom painter and you can't possibly write down an SOP. You absolutely can for him. He has a standard operating procedure and it's beautiful to see. SOPs create an environment of trust, even in a mass customization environment. So I have an image of decks pulled up here. Every deck is different, right? It's got different coatings on it, different exposure, different wood, different life, things like that, wishes of the clients. We have something that can take one of the craziest processes, uh, deck restoration, and it's basically, you know, a 14-step process. We apply it to every deck and we get a reasonable result. Setting expectations is, is good too, but SOPs make trust. Like when we look at a client in the face and say, this is our process, this is the likely outcomes, we can look them in the face and actually promise that, which is a big thing. Uh, SOPs can be a comfort blanket for all the people in your business. In years past, I did not have standard operating procedures in my company. I didn't even have a pay scale for the love of God, right? Can you ever believe that I did not have any of that stuff? I did. And guess what? People are bugged out because I knew what was going to happen in the future, but it wasn't on paper. So they didn't. So it's likely I lost a lot of good employees early on in growing this business because I didn't, I didn't portray on paper my vision for the future or for them. So what you're seeing here is one of my pay scales. They can actually see their first four or five years in my business and basically say, yeah, here you go. This is what it looks like to be a, a craftsperson in Nick's business. There's competencies there. There's pay. There's benefits. It's basically like a big grid. I know exactly if I perform this, I get this. It's a huge comfort blanket. So what do SOPs look like? I'm going to give you some examples here. Um, SOPs, I, I pulled up one from Colgate. Colgate has an SOP how to brush your teeth, right? Trillions of times a day, this gets done around the world. They actually have a five-step process for brushing your teeth. It's all written out here, right? SOPs are not just for weird technical stuff, standard operating procedures. They're not just for militaries. They're not just for people in the trades, things like that. Colgate has an SOP to brush your teeth. That's how important it is. Moonshot. The United States government has a standard operating procedure for going to the moon, right? So you look at you look at the crazy customization that it took. Um, to get somebody to the moon, it took eight years, 10 practice runs, 40,000 engineers, scientists, and technicians, and roughly $150 billion. There's an SOP for that, a standard operating procedure. There's also an SOP for almost the, the most insignificant afterthought, brushing your teeth and everything in between. So I want you to know, if you think... Your business is either too simple or too complex for an SOP. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Military examples. Here's my favorite stuff. This, this you get into the world of craziness. I have an image up of the standard operating procedure to make your bed in the military. They actually have a stick with lines on it with different colors on it where you lay it on to fold the bed sheets back to make sure you're in order. That's how crazy it gets, right? Now, 
this is overkill. In the military, I understand why they do it. They want to instill discipline. The seemingly insignificant is meaningful. Just like how you take care of your weapons. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem, some things when you handle a weapon, when you use a weapon, when you carry a weapon seem insignificant, but the consequences of a wrong action are life altering. So I understand why the military does it, but you have to be very careful in your business about, about putting how to fold a drop cloth SOP, just like, there's enough going on. Take it easy. All right. <laughs> I'm showing you a picture of a recipe. Now a recipe is an algorithm. An algorithm is a standard operating procedure. You take these ingredients and these ratios, put them together, do something to them, right? You have inputs, you have an algorithm and you have an output. If, if when I showed you that image of when I posted my SOPs on Facebook and people were like, this is BS, you're a micromanager. I'd be a slave to this thing. I would hate working for this. But yet all those people would go home and pull up a recipe on how to make bread. They would never try to figure out how to make bread from scratch every single time they make bread, right? That's insane. That's insane. If you take a certain amount of ingredients, combine them together in a certain way, you will get a loaf of bread. If you just try to wing it, ah, listen, at the bread factory, everybody knows how to make bread. They just do it. It's not written down anywhere. You're going to have wild failures everywhere you go. And man, I'm seeing comments stroll in here from all over the place. I will get to some of these things, but guys, I'm 50 minutes into this and we still got a lot of slides to go. So just hold tight. I want to get through this in a reasonable amount of time for you guys. Uh, how to make an SOP. So number one, first principle reasoning. What problem are you trying to solve? What outcome do you want? And what are the inputs? So again, you have inputs, you have your algorithm, your SOP, and then you have your outputs like that. Simplicity and its effect on compliance. I'm here to give you a crazy data point, which is perfection is the enemy of really good. I'll say this over and over and over again. 95% of the people in my company will comply with a very simple SOP. 10% of the people will comply with the most complex, perfect SOP. A simple SOP may not be perfect. My SOP to paint a bedroom doesn't actually say to use a ladder. But guess what, folks? Decent human beings will fill in those gaps and find a ladder. If you make your SOPs too complex, you will not get compliance, even though they're perfect, right? So where to start? Number one, you want to start with SOPs to, for processes to deliver your products. So think about codings, think about application methods. Once you have those things down, you want to move to processes that facilitate the delivery of that product. So think about estimating production and then recruiting people to do this. After those are down, then you want to uh, think about external processes that create the opportunity to deliver that product. Marketing advertising. And then you go back to step number four, internal processes to assess your effectiveness and efficiency of your product. These are the four areas of SOPs that I do in my company. And these are the, the exact um, priorities that I do to address them. So that step number four, internal processes, job costing, benchmarking, financial reporting, budgeting, things like that. Training SOPs versus SOP checklists. So the, I delineate, I have two kinds of SOPs in my company. We got big old crazy complex ones that we use for training. And then we have SOP checklists that are quick reference guides in the field. So I will send you these guides, how to make a full SOP, how to make an SOP checklist. But it basically starts with this. We have an SOP checklist and every single step needs to be explained either by an image, a video, a time-lapse or an instruction manual like that. So if there's 22 steps, to painting a bedroom in my company, we basically 
go through a slide where we show what a win looks like for each one of those steps. And I have a step-by-step -step guide here for you guys that I can send you. Uh, a training SOP is a big one, right? We take every single step and we say, when it says make a project plan, we actually go into that. My SOP checklist just merely remind you, it's like a checklist of make a, biz make a project plan. How to make an SOP checklist. So this is the most important one. And what you're looking for is a four-step process here uh, on how to make an SOP checklist. This is a PDF I'll send you. But basically, you start with the simple things. And this is the part where everybody stalls out on SOPs, which is, hey, Nick, I've been working for eight months on my SOPs. I just can't get them down. And I'll be like, that's insane. Because an SOP, <clears throat> a bedroom SOP starts with nothing more than you prep, top one, top two, deep prep. Congratulations, you've taken three seconds and you've made an SOP. But obviously, you can't train people on that and you can't send that out into the field as an SOP checklist. So then what you do is you bring in the next couple steps. You have your four main steps, prep, top one, top two, deprep. And then you say, well, what is the minimum amount of instruction I should give somebody? So you start filling in the gaps here, which like, okay, when we say prep, there's drop cloths, there's tape, there's patching, stuff like that, right? Okay, so then we'll put those three sort of like uh, um, micro steps in between there and top one, top two, things like that. And then uh, if, if that's not enough, you want to add as few steps as possible. But on a thing like taping, you'll say clockwise starting at the door from left to right, something like that, right? Or when you say top coat one, you say you cut first, then you ro roll one, uh, roll one wall at a time, moving clockwise around the room. You want the minimal amount of instruction to create the biggest return in the end. And here's one of my SOP checklists I'm showing you guys right there. I'm going to send you every one of these from my business. If you guys email me at the end of this thing, I'll share my email address. It is in the show notes as well, too. But I will share all my checklists with you guys so you can start seeing an example. So uh, what we do then is we take these SOP checklists, we actually laminate them and then send them out in the field with people like this. So what you're seeing here is a three ring binder. Uh, they're heavy laminated. You can use dry erase markers on them there to check things off, things like that. So uh, here's my examples again. Uh, we have an SOP for the four-hour bedroom. There's a 22-step uh, process here, and I actually break it out in times. It's such a commodity in my company for that. We also have SOPs for gear and perishables and consumables. What you're seeing here is an infographic of my tape, my patch, my caulking, my plastic, my things like that. Simple system. So you think about the painting process, but also you want to think about your actual coatings and stuff like that. For To paint an interior bedroom, we have one paint, one brush, one roller. That's it. You don't have to guess what to use. It's just all there for you. Basic tools and equipment. And we basically lay out uh, here in a tote system. What do you need for one person? What do you need for two people? We have an SOP for the van loading. We also have an SOP for something we call our prep pouch. Everybody in my company on their first day is issued a prep pouch. There's a little tape hook so you can hang a, a roll of tape. There's a cleaning brush, there's a utility knife, and there's a purdy folding tool. That is a standard operating procedure for people to walk around and do that. I did this, this is so important for me. Not only does it look professional, but also when you're walking around prepping the interior of a house or the exterior of a house, you have a tendency to have a painter's tool, a five-in-one, a purdy folding tool, a utility knife, a cleaning brush, a roll of tape, and you can't possibly fit that all into painter's pants. So you kind of lay it all over the place and you walk around and gather it. My prep pouch is a thing where that all is contained in there. It's not like a carpenter's utility belt where it's laden down with tools. This is simple stuff that you carry around. That is a standard operating procedure in my company. Also, what's really interesting is that I'm showing an infographic here of the four brushes we use in my company. One brush is used for 90% of everything. 
It's our interior cutting brush. It's our exterior trim brush. It's a Purdy Pro Extra uh, Elasco, two and a half inch straight cut long handle. We have a three inch version for exterior. We have a Nylox two and a half straight cut for enamels. And we have uh, the Wooster Yachtsman, uh, the, the hog hair bristle for all our, all our solvent based finishes. So really in my company, we have four brushes, one that gets used for 90% of the work. I also have a, a quick reference spraying guide. So for all the coatings we use, for all the sprayers we use, I actually have tip recommendations for my people based on my 30 years of experience here. And sprayer operation. This is one of those things where in my apprenticeship uh, program, at some point, usually about month six, you need to test out of being able to operate a sprayer. So you need to be able to get paint in, get paint out, and create a spray pattern, things like that. But I actually have a step-by-step -step instruction for that because people kind of bug out initially when, when you start looking at uh, sprayer operations, a weird piece of mechanical stuff. I'm showing you now on the screen the standard operating procedure for my apprenticeship program, the first week or two in our training facility. We have a process that we take people through, through onboarding, through their final project of putting together a, a kitchen and a, uh, in a bathroom, cabinetry and wall project like that. But there's a standard operating procedure for that. Also, estimating and sales SOP checklist. So lest you think that this is only for painting, my estimator Andy, my estimator Ian have a standard operating procedure that they abide by. And also on Facebook, boy, you guys are missing if you're not watching on Facebook, um, we actually have a set of stock emails that we send out to clients based on where they are in the process. It's not because we want to be impersonal. It's because we want to control the variables. If Ian, Andy, and I all sent whatever email we felt like to a client in response to every standard question we get, we might get weird results. One person might perform better than the other. One person might make happier or less happy customers. Unless we standardize that, our emails are very personal, but we also want to make sure that we standardize that process so we don't get these adverse results, things like that. And I will be getting to everybody's questions and comments here in a second. We have a standard operating procedure for goal setting and review meetings. Four times a year, next week for me and my company, we sit down individu individually with every single human in the company and we review their performance for the last three months and then we make them a goal for the next three. We have a standard operating procedure. We also have a standard operating procedure for our meetings. We have one meeting a week. It's basically 10 to 12 every Monday for my leadership team. And we basically go through a standard operating procedure. We have a checklist. We start at the top. We work our way to the bottom. It's one of the most effective meetings that I've been, ever been a part of. It's been something that I've been working on for about four years, give or take. So we have a thing that we call an info sheet. Uh, what you're seeing on Facebook is a one-page it's basically a contract. It's a, our promises to the client. There's a place where our client signs on the bottom, but it's a very user-friendly color-coded sheet. It's on the back of all of our estimates. And this is technically our contract. A standard operating procedure in our paint is what we allow, what we don't allow. If a client says, I'll provide the paint, we say, my apologies, our standard operating procedure is that we provide the paint so that we can control the quality of the product, the color of it, the quantity, and then the logistics of getting it there. We pass along our discount to you. So just understand that if you provide the paint, we can't control any of that. And we can't control the outcome. We will give you a discount on the paint. We'll give you our discount on the paint and we'll take control of logistics. And then we will take ownership of the final outcome of that. So it's your choice client. If you want to provide the paint, you're going to have to go get it to us. If the color wrong is the shine wrong, or you can't find the paint, or it takes more labor on our part, that's on you. We don't allow it. That's a standard operating procedure.
We have a coordinator and admin SOP as well, too. So what you're seeing is a screenshot of our Trello. We actually have a visual process, uh, a dashboard where we can see our admins work, our coordinators work every day, and it is a standard operating procedure. So I'm only showing this uh, to show you that it's not just about painting, right? So here's the deal. I'm showing you a flow chart between the goals of the business, <clears throat> right? Those get turned into a deliverable. A deliverable gets turned into a job description. So think about this. We want to we wanna produce $3 million worth of paintwork this year. A deliverable is we have two estimators. I need them to sell a million and a half a piece. In their job description, then you say, we need you to sell a million and a half of paint business. Then we create a standard operating procedure for that estimator so that they can sell that million and a half. And then we have a weekly accountability to make sure that they're meeting those goals. So you can see SOP is one of like five steps in this thing, but SOPs only work when you start with the goals of the business, you create deliverables based on those, you create job descriptions based on those deliverables, you create SOPs for the job description so people can win and then weekly you hold them accountable. It's a, it's a big ecosystem. SOPs aren't going to be the magical savior, uh, the magic wand that's going to do everything in your business. It's one of uh, a whole bunch of things you need to do right, but it's step number one. <clears throat> Lessons learned and best practices. So this is the time where I basically download some thoughts that I have over the last bunch of years of doing this stuff. If it's not written down, it doesn't exist. You know this. I scream this from the mountaintops. It is true. If creating SOPs takes you more than a few hours, you're doing it wrong, right? SOPs in a file cabinet are useless. SOPs in a file cabinet are useless. If you write them down, put them in your file cabinet, and you never train anybody or hold them accountable to them, they're useless. You might as well have not have made them. Nothing hones systems like teaching it to another person, whether you're a craftsperson, master craftsperson, or business owner. You will never be the sharpest sword. You will never be all that you can be unless you have to teach your job to somebody else. This can be painting, this can be estimating, this can be project management, everything else. Number one, start simple. Add complexity only where it's needed. We think as business owners, a lot of times we can spreadsheet ourselves out of a problem or complexity ourselves out of a problem, which is if I just make this 200 page document detailing exactly how this is going to be done, everybody has to do it this way. It's like, no, you, no, they don't. You have to make a system and a function where humans can actually comply with it. That's the test. That's leadership. So measuring everything on your SOP. Everything you do in your business has to be measurable, right? So think about the light switch test. You either did it or you didn't do it. So when you think about the steps in your SOP, one step should never be paint really good. That is not measurable. That's very subjective. What you should say is when you cut, start in the lower left, up, over, down, around, one wall at a time, roll behind. When you roll, you start 12 inches to the right, you work your paint to the left, you work it to the right, three finish strokes, and that'll give you three finish roller widths from top to bottom, nine inches in an average bedroom. If you follow that process, you'll get an even shine like that. If you get hat banding, picture framing, uh, flashing, anything like that, you'll know you didn't follow the standard operating procedure. That's what a measurable result is on a standard operating procedure. SOPs are living documents. So business owners, you guys are horrible at this. I come to you humbly as one of you. You'll say, well, if I can't make it perfect, I'm not even going to start. I'm not even going to try. And I'm certainly not going to finish it. Just stop with all that BS. You know better. It's way better to get something out 80%. 60%, 50% hashed, half-baked, and start using it and then improve it in route, then to never start at all. That is an excuse. It's an excuse I've used. It's an excuse that all of you have used as business owners. 
velocity of action is way better than the perfect plan. Velocity of action is way better than a perfect plan. You don't need to be extreme. You just need to be consistent. These are all things I tell myself every day. It's the leader's responsibility to do pattern detection, right? One of my favorite things in my business is pattern detection and sniff tests. I take three steps back from the company and I look at my business and I look for patterns. If there's a pattern that keeps happening that gives us an adverse result, I will attack it with a standard operating procedure. Sometimes it needs an SOP. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just needs a, a slight adjustment or you change a thing. If I could buy a certain paint, a certain brush, a certain roller, and that would guarantee me a perfectly painted bedroom wall project every time without an SOP, I would just do that. I don't do SOPs because I love them. I do SOPs in only areas that we need them. If you just buy a certain paint, if you buy a certain brush and a roller cover, that absolutely does not guarantee the outcome of a project. Sometimes just getting a thing changes the outcome of a product, a project. Sometimes with our surf prep sanding system in our shop, when we finish, I can just change out the sanding paper. I love my medium squishies versus three different types. And I have to have no instructions. Everybody knows how to sand. If I just change the paper, we get a wildly different outcome. And then guess what? We don't need to write a SOP. We fix something at a systems level that affects everybody there. So my data points, if something goes wrong on a job site, I can guarantee you this. In my company, 98% of the time, an SOP was not followed. And we can actually go back through the steps and figure out which it is. Decent human beings fill the gaps of SOPs. So like I said, in my 22-step process for painting bedroom walls, nowhere does it mention a ladder. And nowhere does it mention to open a can of paint. But if you have decent human beings, guess what? Guess what? They will figure, figure out a way to open the can of paint. And they will understand when you have to top cut a ceiling, you're going to need a ladder. So that's where you have to make SOPs easy. If you fill your SOPs with the minutia of we use a four foot Werner step ladder with a 250 pound capacity and you put it at a 37 degree angle to the wall with the right front leg two inches from the baseboard so that you you take your chain hook and you put it here and you do all of a sudden come on folks you want your people to win and sometimes having a simple system that people comply with most of the time is a way better win than having a perfect system a perfect SOP that nobody can comply with so here is here is my, uh, my email address. It's up on the screen right now. Uh, if you email me and ask for my SOPs and ask for my steps to professionalization, you will get them. But caveat, this next week, I am personally reviewing every single human in my company. It is a week-long effort. It's an 80-hour slog through it. I love doing it, but I will be taken up. So if you do not get all of my stuff for free in the next week, do not berate me. It is coming. I will get to it, folks. Um, so now let's go through some questions here. Uh, maybe I'll take a sip of coffee quick while we do this. You guys have been with me for over an hour, so I thank you. Uh, all of this will be archived uh, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It doesn't really archive, uh, but it will end up being on YouTube then for time and eternal. So, all right. Doo, 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 doo. Let's see what we got here. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> a lot of people watching on TikTok. TikTok following is growing here. I love to see this stuff. We're, we're tapping into a different market there. So, um, oh, Anthem Paint. We talked this last week. You chimed in last week. It says, sorry, Nick, I have to go meet a few guys. See you again soon. Absolutely. Been loving our discussions too. So, 
Hmm. One person on TikTok. We've had the same estimator for 10 years. There we go. All right. All right, everybody. Let's go back through some whole oh, mama. We got a lot of people watching today. This is awesome. So just to reiterate where we are, man, a lot of familiar names here. Um, at the start of every year, I go through a series called Mastering the Basics. We go through all the steps that I used to professionalize my company. We went from zero to about 30 to 40 people, depending on the time of year, in about six or seven years. And the document that I will give you for free, I have nothing to sell people, uh, is all the steps that I followed, my, my lessons learned, and I actually have hyperlinks to all these shows. So if you want to go to deep dive on job costing, there's multiple shows for you to watch on how to job cost. I want this industry, I want this industry to professionalize more than anybody else. It will make it better for all of us paint business owners here. It'll make it better for our clients, truly. All right. Ah, Bonoite, oh, not Bonoite. Bogia, my friends down in uh, down in Brazil, love all this stuff. Buenos dias, Onyx Painting, love you guys. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Onyx Painting on Instagram. I was actually rewatching the Four Day Work Week. Love that show, and I love discussing, debating the Four Four Day Work Week. This comes up, and uh, I was in Detroit uh, for one of my last master's classes of the year, and we talked for about two hours, open and honest. Uh, question and answer session in a in a college lecture auditorium about subcontracting and the four day work week. It was awesome. So many good questions there. So, man, good to see everybody on here. Bonjour, all my friends. Vias Pro Painting. Happy New Year to you too. Uh, da, 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 da. Greetings from Brazil. Bonjour, obrigado, all my friends in Brazil watching. Two ten painters. Good morning. Garcia Brothers painting. Good morning. Love seeing all these people here. Uh, Duarte Handyman Services. Do, do, do. Thanks for watching. Olive Holdings. Man, you guys are at it this morning. You're on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, Asha. Bez. How's it going? Bez and I used to work together. Uh, Asha and I used to work together. She actually moved to Northern Minnesota, started a paint company. Love her. Love what she's doing. Uh, to do olive holdings sops and playbooks help your team a lot retention with team is higher because they believe you know what you're doing and those guides help them make money and do a good job yeah it's the basic of it uh so here's the deal imagine imagine you get a job at sherwin williams as a store manager right and it's laughable to think that they would not have an onboarding a training process and a standard operating procedure for that People think, well, these SOPs, this is all corporate Nick and this is this and that. If you were a store manager of a Sherwin-Williams and there was not a standard operating procedure for tinting paint and you had to figure it all on yourself, you would quit that day and say, this is ridiculous. You're not even going to show me how to do this. But yet in the painting industry, we're just like hire somebody and we're frustrated the first day when with no training, they can't do exactly what we've done for 30 years. Right. And then we get angry at them that we yell at them. So. Uh, Mr. Francozzi translated our SOPs. That's right. So interestingly enough, we've had a couple people. Um, my friend Carlos from Minnesota here, he translated all my SOPs into Spanish. Uh, and Mr. Francozzi uh, uh, translated them into Portuguese too. So uh, I should probably gather those references up and put them out there. It seems like that would be a good uh, good resource. So uh, Ronnie, my friend, Bajia, Obrigado. Thanks for watching. Uh, How to Breathe. <laughs> Ronnie knows this better than anybody else. My Brazilian friend, procedures are great to create standards, but once used wrongly, it can ruin the whole plan of professionalization, a simple task. You're right. 
Oh, I love my surf prep people watching this morning. Do, 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 do. Ah, nooks and crannies. That's one of the things I took from your last week's uh, written pay scale. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Huge thing. Oh my gosh, Noah Cantor, advice from a young tradesman, my favorite podcast ever. He's watching this morning from Vermont. Crazy man here. Um, man, I wish you guys could see outside. It is a winter wonderland. We got two feet of snow on the ground. Our trees are covered with frost. Everything is white and we had a full moon last night. So I was up in the middle of the night for a few hours staring out my bedroom window over my wetlands, my woods. You could have stood outside and read a book last night. This is an, uh, it is insanely beautiful here in Minnesota. So do, 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 do. Let's see. Breaking the stereotypes from Ronnie. Yes, SOPs are great for facilitating processes and steps. You got it. All right. Sorry. I'm just working through all my. Paulo Oliveira. Bajia, my friend. Good morning. Oh, it's about. It's afternoon. Bautarje, my friends, down in Brazil. I forget the big. Uh, uh, let's see. Manny Laguna. See you next month. Absolutely. We'll see you there. Tucker and Company. Good morning, my friend. Uh, furniture conservator, I can't find your email. This has been really a good listen. So here's the deal. You people on TikTok, you people on Instagram are not seeing the screen share and you're not seeing the email address I have right there. It is nick at nickslavic.com. It's likely uh, the best resource for all this stuff is to search it up on Facebook and find my email address and all that other stuff. Uh, I get a lot of people going through my website, <laughs> like they're painting leads doing this. Please email me personally, folks. Uh, Dominic Crowley. Oh my God. From across the pond here. Uh, happy and successful new year to you too, man. One of these years, Dominic, I'm going to threaten you with actually coming over and working together for a little bit. Cause I love watching you on Instagram and uh, it would be an honor to work with you uh, over there. Uh, diamond coat cabinets. Hi from Northern Illinois. All right, everybody. Let's go through. Do, 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 do. Oh, here we go. We got an Insta, uh, uh, TikTok question. What's your support staff ratio to field hands ratio? So typically I like to do a three to one or four to one, give or take. We have a, uh, a leadership team of six, if you include me. And I like to keep a minimum 15 painters, optimal 20 full-time year round. We have subcontractors, we have part-timers that come in, we have apprentices. Uh, and then we have uh, part-timers that come in the summer, but give or take, we really want to maintain a, a, like a three to one, four to one. I want one support staff for every three painters, give or take. So think about this. This is how I think about it better than that. Cause that's, that's a very squishy way of, of going about this stuff. Then we're going to get to these Facebook comments. Uh, an estimator in our industry should sell at a minimum about a million dollars worth of painting projects that, that you need about seven to 10 painters to produce that amount of work. A project manager should be able to produce at about a minimum uh, 1 million, uh, should be able to do about 1.5. In my company, we really want our people um, at a minimum, like we, we really push our leadership team. So we really want our project managers to manage about 1.5 each. We want our estimators to sell about 1.5 or two, because remember, you sell $1,000 worth of paint work, you don't necessarily produce a thousand. There's stuff that slips. There's stuff that you always carry on the on the queue, things like that. So we want to sell probably about 30% more paint work a year than what we produce. So really what we want is about our project managers to produce about 1.5 each and our estimators to sell about 1.7 to 2 million each to make sure we have enough of those jobs, give or take. So um, 
Yeah. Let me think about that. So yeah, basically the, the basic pod or a silo, a business unit in the painting industry would be an estimator, a project manager, and somewhere between seven and 10 painters that would likely produce at about a minimum, a million dollars worth of revenue for your company, give or take. So when you think about growing your business, that's how you want You want to think about it in those pods. Now with world-class SOPs and training and mentorship and accountability and things, I'm hoping to get uh, those ratios very much different so that we can get uh, 10 painters will produce 1.5. One project managers will produce 1.5 to two. One estimator will sell two to 2.3, 2.5, something like that. So I believe with the right humans, the right seat, the right training, we can all do that stuff, but it's kind of like a, yeah, it's a, it's a gradual scale like that. So thank you for that. All right, Facebook questions. Oh man, we got them piled up here. We got a whole bunch of people watching. This is crazy. I love all this stuff. Todd Roberts, good morning. Brandon Miller, good morning. Cristobal, good morning. Jesse Stanley, good morning. Dan Pemberton, um, absolutely, man. Uh, he's thanking me for sharing. Absolutely. Phil Klein, my good friend from Iowa. Uh, Phil, always love seeing you, man. Juan Jimenez, good morning. Jesse Stanley, my winter is slow in northern Minnesota, so it's the perfect time to set goals, cast visions, and get ready for the best year yet. That's why we do Mastering the Basics, folks. We go through week by week. I just laid out uh, an itinerary on Facebook through March about mastering the basics uh, of all the show schedule and stuff like that. So Steve Lockwood, good morning, my friend. Uh, Jesse Stanley from Northern Minnesota. Um, what's funny is I work for my uncle for a 40 year painting vet in North suburbs of Minneapolis, and he's never done any of this. And with 10 plus employees and over a million in business, this would take uh, always so much stress. And I seen him have over the, yeah. So listen, that is the perfect example of cowboy stuff, which is grit, martyrdom, cowboyness can, can hold a company like that together. But the problem is, and that's fine if you know what you're doing and you like it, but understand that you're not going on a vacation without that. If you go on a vacation, your company stops because you're doing all the estimating, all the scheduling, all the paint buying, all the project management, all, all everything, the invoicing, the bookwork, everything. If you stop, your company stops. So it's super high risk, high reward. Troy Frederick, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Uh, good morning, Nick. On vacation in Colorado Springs, we have to watch later, so don't trip when my questions come three today. Like, listen, I love this sort of stuff. I get uh, people beaming in from all over the place. Like, hey, I'm sitting on a beach in Cancun and I'm watching Ask a Painter, and it's like, number one, stop it. You're on vacation, but number two, that's really cool, and I appreciate that, and and I absolutely love that that you're that into it. So, Troy Frederick, if you're a good painter. Uh, then you're already a slave to the SOPs. Yes, you are. They're not just written down. And just because they're not written down doesn't mean they don't exist, you know, and doesn't mean you're not doing them. So Gustavo, uh, you're too nice, Nick. Those people don't know what the heck they're talking about. Yeah, when I'm going through the comments. <laughs> Bernie Yancey, uh, da, 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 thanks for the thing. Michael Collins, how's it going, my friend? Anthony Cade, I ran wild for a while. Uh, was the guy that didn't need systems. Employees changed that. Yeah. <laughs> That is such a true statement. We know what we need, what will happen. Employees don't. That's it. And and you got to coach them so that they do know that. So Anthony, yeah, one of my greatest friends in the industry. Absolutely. Mr. Frank from Minnesota. Thank you much. Olive Holdings. Uh, we mentioned that in some SOPs and playbooks are important to your team. Absolutely. Uh, da, 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 da. Rodrigo. Thank you very much, my friend. Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, Rodrigo, I'll say this over and over and I've had to remind myself too. don't let perfect get in the way of really damn good. That's it. <laughs> well, Olive Holdings. Now you're just being, now you're just being extreme here. Nick Slavic is the best. Listen to him. I don't take compliments very well. So you have to calm that down a little bit, guys. George, my friend, good morning. 
the Hall of Holdings. Duh, 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 duh. Yeah. Good question. Sometimes we wonder, is painting what you want for the rest of your life? Or do we have aspirations in life? And what is your painting company uh, in life? What if your painting company could run strong uh, without a lot of your time? That's a good question. Uh, Mr. Hammer Temple, good morning from Legendary Painting. Uh, da, 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 da. Tony Joseph, good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, Olive Holdings, A Tale of Two Slavics, next ebook. Yeah, that would actually be a really good one. But I'm always, I'm always conscious of the fact that I don't want people to think that I dislike my father or bash him or look down on him or anything else. It's just a great tale. Like I have one of the best upbringings ever in this industry, in my personal life, to stand in front of you guys and say the things I do. I have been there, folks. It was 25 years before I was in this industry, before I talked to another painter. I got brought up in the most regressive, most standard way that people do in a painting business. My, I got started when I was 10 years old, being an indentured servant to the family business. And most of us get started that way, if we're being honest. And so I can come to you here knowing that I have a an insight into the people in this industry like not a lot of other people do. I have lived it, folks. I have done it. What you know of me, the war room, the people, the office, the shop, the vans, everything else, this has only happened in five to seven years, right? I've only got serious in the last five to seven years. The rest of it, I was super unintentional, nothing written down, going for it. I'm not going to tell you that it was shitty, right? I love that stuff. But if you ask my wife, you may get another example. I was gone 100 hours a week. I was constantly tired. Uh, I would fall asleep at five o'clock in the evening because I worked myself to death. There was super high risk and thank God my body held it together. But in those early years of my business, if in year two of 15 running this business, I had a back injury, I wouldn't be here, folks. And I wouldn't have saved enough money. I wouldn't have accounted for the risk there. So it's a good lesson. Seth Hostetter, how are you from Kansas City? Lauren Fink's chiming in. I'll quit it all if you're just buttering me up here. Ah, uh, Lauren Fink, devil's advocate. Nick, if I professionalize, I'll become generic corporate and lose all the unique personal touch of employees and that customers love. No, you will not. Think about this. I've been having this deep thought for the last six months. This is not good. This is not bad. This is the truth though. There is a single person painting business near to me that will offer about the same price to paint a bedroom as I will, right? Let's just call it 400 bucks, paint the bedroom walls. That person will do the estimate, that person will buy the paint, that person will schedule, that person will project management, it will do the paint, and that person will invoice, and that people, that person will be there the whole time. Great. It's personal service. I did that for a lot of years. For 400 bucks with my company, you get a project manager, you get an apprentice, you get a craftsperson, you get an estimator, and you get me, industry expert. For your bedroom repaint project in a single sole proprietor company, you get a person, arguably an expert, that's fine. In my company for the same price, you get a team of five that oversees your project. Now, I'm not telling you one is better than the other because consumer preference will dictate maybe one or the other. Some people like small mom and pop. Some people like to do business with Google and Amazon and things like that. And some people don't care. Most people don't care, honestly. But I will tell you this, that is a huge value. And for people who are business professionals, they understand like, oh, why wouldn't I go with a company that gives me a five-person support team instead of one, right? And so it's just consumer preference. So you absolutely do not lose that. And the bigger, the more professional I've got, I've actually been able to free up more of my time to not only mentor my people, but also take more care of my clients in that. So again, 
you can help 50 people a year or you can help 600 people a year. And I want to affect a greater good. I want to prevent clients from having poor interactions with contractors, uh, which most of them do. And I will do that. So uh, let's see. Uh, Paul Peltier, you mentioned uh, from Instagram that the big changes occurred in the last five years. What was the inflection point? Oh, my Lord. So this is an hour long discussion I give at my master's classes. Um, what was the inflection point? Why did I change after 25 years in the industry? Paul, here you go. Um, I had three people working for me, master craft people, and I was doing it just like most of us do. Nothing's written down. We're just getting after it. We're gritting. We're working hard. We're breaking all the budgets. We're beating quality expectations. We're doing amazing work. Everything better and faster than what we did before. All three of those people left me on a Friday night for good reasons, right? Two of them went to go do religious mission work. One of them went to go train to be a pilot. So I was left with this very unsatisfying realization that I was pissed that they all left, but I was also very, very proud of these people for doing what they did because I would consider that a higher calling. So I was given a very good life lesson of if I just do this form of business the rest of my life, my family is going to be going through crazy ups and downs. And my gut was getting all twisted up. Uh, I was having all this agita because it wasn't up to me. I could, I could be the best boss, the best person, the best crafts person. But three people can always leave you on a Friday night and alter the course of your family and your business. So I said from that moment on, uh, if I'm going to be in this the rest of my life, which I am, we need to do this on a different way so we don't have these crazy ups and downs. The only way that I figured I could do that was to either work alone or grow a big enough company where if three people left, it wouldn't affect the company. And I decided to grow a big one because um, I love leading people, mentoring, teaching, training, developing people like that. I love having a team around me to help solve these problems. And I like affecting a greater good. I got challenged. I'm not going to tell you who, but by somebody watching on one of these three things, they pulled me aside and said, Nick, you should be proud of what you've done. You're really good at this. You have a big company. You're in the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of the industry. You're a very good craftsperson. You're a very good leader. You love your people more than anybody else. We've never seen anybody take care of your people like you. You have a big business by all objective accounts. But are you living up to your potential? And that was a very stark realization. It hit me in the chest like a spear. It's like, you may think you're doing good and other people may think you're doing good, but are you fulfilling your potential? Are you doing everything you possibly could? And the answer to that was no. The answer to that was just no. I, I, I believe a life fulfilled is where you fulfill your true potential or attempt to fulfill your true potential. And for me as a utilitarian, it's affecting the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people in the shortest amount of time. And as far as I figure, I got my life's half over. We got 40 years left, give or take. Um, I want to get after it. I really want to get after it. I want to make the biggest pile of the happiest people on the face of the planet. The best way I can do that is with a painting company, right? I could start an app. I could start an electronics retailer. I could start a lawn service business. I could do a consulting business. The way I figure this I want to affect the greatest good I possibly can, but I also want to have the most love and satisfaction of my job. That's where this intersects. I truly love this. And anybody who's seen more than five minutes of this show understands that. I love the craft. I love the business. I love the leadership. I love the crazy challenges. I like doing big, bold, amazing things. And I like doing it on a large scale. So that's what we do. That's my inflection point. And I, I got my inflection point handed to me.
Um, I'm hoping that this will hand you a much more gentler inflection point than I was handed all those years ago. So, yep. Love that. All right, let's go back to Facebook here. Man. Do, 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 do. Oh, Mr. Hammer Temple, SOP for marketing. That is actually coming. That is, uh, <clears throat> I don't have the, oh, actually, I got the list up right here. Likely, January 28th will be the SOP on marketing. I know everybody's chomping at the bit for that because the world is changing and, and we're doing this. So uh, the paint boxer, we attended your conference in Troy. It inspired us and brought us refreshing perspective. Thank you for laying the groundwork uh, for the abundance mindset in the trades. Absolutely. So I tell you what, I'm going to get rid of my email address, go full screen on Facebook again, so I can bring up some of these comments. Michael Shelton, uh, great video. Thanks for being generous with your time and wisdom. I'm going to email you for those checklists. You got it. I'm going to have to watch this a couple more times, George. I've been liking our interactions, man. I'm here for you anytime. You know that we've emailed back and forth. So John Penu. Ooh, here we go. Do you believe uh, there is value to creating these for our own company as in due diligence task for professionalization always and forever? Yes. It's the entrance fee. It's not if you should, it's yes, you should when you should, that sort of thing. Dan Pemberton, what do you think are the three most important SOPs for somebody starting to create them? Oh, I love this. So here's the deal, folks. As business owners, we don't have an amazing amount of free time, right? So if you think about the most immediate needs, if you want to take the smallest amount of your effort, the smallest amount of time and affect the biggest change, guess what? If you're in the northern part of the United States, you are not exterior painting. So what I would what I would recommend you not do is make your deck SOP, your exterior Victorian mansion restoration SOP. In my company right now, we go hard on walls, ceilings, cabinet, trim. So guess what? We're going to go wall, ceiling, cabinet, and trim SOP. I would do that, the thing that affects it right now. I would also take a step back from that and say, obviously, you want to start with painting SOPs. That's your proven product. You have to get that down. Before you start changing your pricing, you need to actually be able to look a client in the face and guarantee them the outcome. So right now, I would say if you're the majority, let's say you're even in Florida and 60% of your painting is an interior, guess what? Go after that 60%, wall, ceiling, cabinets, trim, if that's what your company does. This brings up a much larger discussion about what is your company's purpose? What does it do? What is its core values? That's another mastering the basic class altogether. But right now, for almost everybody, I would start with this. What do you do most in your company? If you are an exterior only company and it's winter, guess what? Start in your exterior SOPs because making a wall SOP isn't going to do any good for you if you're 100% exterior. Splash painting. How's it going? Happy New Year. Uh, da, 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 da. Ah, here we go. Hammer Temple. Still waiting for your Oregon Master Class. Here's the deal. In the show notes of this, I have an email address of somebody you can contact at the PCA to line that up. I'm partnering with the PCA. They run the initial logistics. They can find an underwriter. They can help you find a venue. And then I get tapped in when we start talking about topics and process and everything else here. So um, all you got to do is raise your hand. If you stand there and do nothing, Mr. Hammer Temple, it will never happen. If you get involved and start the process, you will absolutely get it going. Court Hampton, how's it going, my friend? Good to see you. John, uh, oh, here we go. John, uh, as in uh, creating or copying or somebody else's, we are currently creating operations production manager SOPs. So here's the deal. 
I created a new performance review for my leadership team yesterday. You know what I did? I Google searched images of performance reviews and I didn't necessarily even look at the stuff. I looked at the, the layout, the template, the flow of information, what got highlighted, what didn't get highlighted. And I based a new template off of that. So I would always, the way my brain works better is to not create this from scratch to look at somebody else's. I come to you as a person who has done most of this from scratch, almost like as a stunt, as a point of pride of not asking for any outside help. And that is painful. And that is not professional. That is not the right thing to do. So I would absolutely look at somebody else's. And also, John, I will send you my uh, my ops manager and production manager SOPs if you need it, if you email me. So, uh, hey, Nick, happy new year from Canada, Sean Davis. Oh, Mike, how's it going? Mike, Danny, good to see you. Uh, Cruz Chavez, we are from San Antonio, but working in Nashville. I have a worker that drinks after work uh, at the Airbnb and wakes up late. Uh, if I fire him, do I have to pay for his flight travel expense once I fire him so we can go back to Texas? So here's the deal. If you have an employee that doesn't share your core values, exit them as quickly as you can from the business. If that means uh, getting them uh, safely back home, I would do that, Cruz, right now. Uh, it is, it, you're only going to expose yourself to more liability and you're not helping that person by letting them function in that. I would absolutely make sure that they made it safely, uh, back home and exit them from the company as quickly as possible. MJB. Good morning. Cristobal, definitely a bit of improvement from the SOP podcast from last year. Lots of new stuff. That's what I try to do, folks. I'm not going to rehash the old stuff. I'm learning stuff every year, mainly from you guys. And, uh, yeah, I love getting back out here. Ooh, here we go. How many estimates uh, to get, say, 100 jobs typically for you guys? Uh, I know these numbers. Uh, two data points, which are, on average, my estimators close at 47%. So if you need 47 jobs, uh, you have to do 100 estimates, give or take. So if you want 100 estimates, that's basically double that. You need 212, give or take, uh, whatever the math is on that one. So uh, typical industry benchmark is 50%, uh, but you can mess with this number by average job size. So one interesting data point I found is that uh, estimator Andy performed amazingly last quarter, even in the uh, face of kind of the world changing and, and leads uh, not being as uh, uh, um, sort of like there as they used to be. So um, what I found is that like, his success ratio goes down, like it fell below 50%, but also his average job size went up. So in theory, what he did, he sold less jobs, but every job he sold was worth more. So in fact, he still accomplished what would have been a lower average job size at 50%. So you can kind of mess with those two numbers. And the theory is, I would, I would love a... I would be okay and I would be open to an estimator selling only 10% of their jobs, but they're 80% more expensive than every other job the other estimator sells. As long as they're hitting that total revenue goal that they're for the year, how they do it is kind of interesting. You can play with those numbers. Um, oh, Sean Davis. Uh, would your father ever be a guest on Ask a Painter? So here's the deal. Um, I don't know. We don't talk. Uh, it's not because I hate the guy. It's just because we don't talk. Um, it's, I'm fairly sure my father doesn't own a computer or a cell phone. Um, it's likely he doesn't know this exists. Uh, I live three miles from him right now. We used to live six blocks from each other. It's very likely my father has no idea who I am, what I am, what I do and my involvement in the industry. So I don't, uh, knowing my father, my father is fairly stoic, um, fairly set in his ways. Um, I'm imagining like I have enough life lessons under my belt now where 
it probably wouldn't be as a satisfying conversation as you would you think. Um, thinking about how that would play out. That's interesting. I would like to do that though. That would be, that'd be pretty great. Um, oh, Steve, you're getting a little overboard. Nick, you are changing my life and business every episode. Well, thanks, man. That's really nice of you to say. I really do appreciate that. I don't, I don't take compliments well, but I also don't take it for granted. So uh, Cristobal, I found an interesting thing about implementing SOPs. We ended up using a tablet on site uh, with the SOPs in it. That's awesome. That's one bridge that we have crossed. We've thought about it, but keeping electronics in working order and charged uh, in a field is not an easy thing. So that's why we do the laminated. Also, uh, because of the Google Drive, um, all of our people have access to the Google Drive and they can pull them up on their own cell phones all the time too. And people will keep their own cell phones in a lot better operating uh, state than they will another person's electronics. That's just how humans work. So MJB, how's it going, my friend? Uh, thanks, Nick. SOPs not only help us in our company employee with structure and discipline, but have found that their personal life gets better and structured. Listen, man. This isn't, I don't want to make a line between employees and business owner and all this other stuff. We work better when we have an SOP. For the love of God, my Google calendar, which is right behind all these phones broadcasting the TikTok and Instagram, I have an SOP of how I use my week to make sure I support my people in the way that I possibly can here. So, ah, uh, Mike Danahy, you, <laughs> is there an SOP for PBCs? PBCs uh, is an inner joke we call uh, people be crazy. There is sometimes we run across some humans as clients that are never going to allow us to treat them well or give them a good outcome. We call them PBCs, people be crazy. And we say that with love, folks. We do actually have an SOP. It's called the Conflict Resolution Decision Tree in my business that we use as a leadership team where if somebody gets a little um, excited with us, working with us, we actually have a process to make sure that we do the best we can. We treat them like decent human beings would, and we still try to get them a win in the end here. So Tyler Med Medine. How do you re recommend I go about pricing when I have a relatively new team and I don't have a lot of experience with how fast they work? So here's the deal. I actually have an estimating Mastering the Basics coming up. Let's see, which one is that? Ah, 21 January, two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, I'm going through a mini master's class on estimating and Mastering the Basics. So here's the deal. I am in the same place as you are, Tyler. Um, we have a whole bunch of people who haven't been around the industry for 30 years, right? We don't have a very standard production rate. So what I had to do is actually come up with market rate and unit-based pricing. So I say, I want to charge as much as the market can handle while producing it profitably, profitably while still having enough business for my work. Those, There is not one correct price. I Okay. I don't want to give you that BS line about, we can't possibly talk about price because it's going to be different everywhere you go. I will say that's BS, except you have to take in a few variables, which is how big is your business? How fast you're growing? You're going to have to lower your price to get more work to feed that business as you go. The less experienced people you have in your company, the more you're going to have to get simple work, which usually is a less margin or lower cost work. So you're going to have to lower your cost to get that stuff. So what I found out is that we go based on success ratio and the queue in our business. We price work until we realize we don't have enough work for the business. Then we lower the prices a little bit to make sure we have enough work like that. So that is a long uh, um, discussion. 21 January, estimating, mastering the basics. We're going to be there. So Tyler, I'll look forward to seeing you there too. Frank from Minnesota, do you have a hiring SOP? Yes, I do. I have a hiring, interviewing, recruiting, and retention SOP in my company. 
Kyle Campbell. Uh, Kyle, I'll be meeting you at the PCA Expo. Love that. Um, do you have each painter do all types or allow more high productive people to do high more production? Yeah. So really what I want to do is, uh, in the first year of apprenticeship in my company, I really want people to do just about everything, right? I want them all to experience everything, but you do realize that some people are killers at Victorian restorations, exteriors, and some people are, are crazy at large trim projects. Some people are crazy at detail stuff and you want to set them up for a win. But I also don't really want hyper-specialized people because a well-rounded craft person like me, I could restore a Victorian mansion, do gloss fine paints of Europe. I could do a decorative finish. I could stain and varnish woodwork and I could do a mural, all those things. I would like people to do that, whether their personality allows us to train that. It's just kind of is what it is here. So Oh, how many leads to get those hundred estimates? Okay. So here's the deal. Uh, we have a slip ratio of probably 20 to 30%. So here's how it works. You get a hundred leads coming into your website. We'll likely schedule 70 estimates, which will yield us about 35 sold jobs, give or take. That's a pretty standard thing. And I can share that data set with you. Court Hampton painting. Todd Roberts. Uh, how much time do you actually spend painting versus growing the business? I'm learning that it's better for me to step aside and grow the business. Thoughts appreciated. Uh, it's been a lot of years since I put in a full day of painting. Now, it doesn't mean I don't do it every now and then, but I'm not forced to. I could choose to do it. And that's a beautiful way to practice this craft where if uh, if I want to spend like last week, I took the entire week off and spent it in the shop and supported my leadership team and supported the new apprentices uh, in there. And that was a choice I had. I didn't have to do that. That was just a choice I made. So here's the deal. There's two ways about growing a business from zero to something else. You can either hire all those people and invest a whole bunch of money in the hopes that it will pay off, or you can make sure that you are the sort of like slack, uh, the fall arresting harness on that, and you take it up with your time. The way I grew this business is I, I didn't want to expend a bunch of cash because when cash gets tight, you can't make that up. I can make some labor up, right? I can work a few extra hours to make up for things. So what I did was I... I did all the roles in the business and I did them longer than I should. And then when I hired somebody, it was an immediate relief to that. And it, I wasn't hiring proactively. I wasn't hiring in anticipation of the work. We already had the work. It was already past the point we needed it. And then I would hire it. And then it was an immediate relief. Now, you're not expending a lot of cash, but you're expending a lot of stress and time. And it, depending on your personality, you may want to hire an entire team first and build a business around it. Or you may want to build the crazy business and then infill with people around it too. But here's the deal. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that when you start off as a single owner operator, that building something, a professionalized business, whether you're going to hire people or not is easy or doesn't take any time. You're going, here's the, my recommendation for you. I like to invest a lot right away. So I don't have to invest it in the future, paint for 40 hours and either tack on another 10 to 20 hours a week to build your business or something else. But it's not going to be, if you want to be a business owner and you want to grow a professional business or a big professional business, you ain't going to do that in 40 hours a week. I'm just here to tell you, you will not do that. I can guarantee you that right now. You might be able to do that in 40 hours if you got a few hundred thousand dollars in cash around and you're willing to bet on a team that will pay off in the future. But not many people operating in this industry are sophisticated enough to do something like that. Not great money managers. And that's not good or bad. That just is. So, all right, let's see here. Maybe one last thing here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Let me just make sure I didn't forget anything here. Holy cow, a lot of people watching on Instagram too. 
right. Sorry, folks. Just making sure I didn't miss any crazy stuff here. All right. Okay. Gosh, I think I'm caught up here. Boy, this is a long one. Hour and 45 minutes here. Man, you guys are good to uh, sit through this thing. Um, this will all be archived later. I will also be looking at any uh, questions you guys have later on. Um, so I'll put my email address up there again for you guys. If you want my SOPs, if you want my steps to professionalization, email me and say, Nick, send me your SOPs, send me your steps to professionalization, and you will get those in the next couple of weeks. It's free. Don't berate me, folks. I got a huge week of goal setting and review meetings, company kickoff, happy hour, all that other stuff. I'm also visiting the 3M World Headquarters as well, too, Friday. So it's going to be a big, 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 big week for me. I cannot thank you guys enough for everything that you do for this. Follow Ask a Painter Live. You get immediate updates when I go live. Ask all the questions, share this show right now. We got a whole bunch of people between all the avenues here. There's probably about 75, 85 people uh, watching right now. Please, the kindest thing you can do for me is just hit share right now. Share it in the groups, share it with your friends. I want to get as many people as we can that share our core values, that are master crafts people, trades business, trades business entre entrepreneurs watching this stuff so we can professionalize our industry. We'll see you at my retreats. We'll see you at my master's classes. We will see you at the PCA Expo. And I have all the links in the show notes on Facebook. So have a great weekend, everybody. I'm going to uh, watch uh, my daughter's dance competition today and then spend some family time, likely spearing pike. So... All right, everybody. Have a good weekend. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.